Namo tasa bhagavato arahato sama sambuddhasa. Namo tasa bhagavato arahato sama sambuddhasa. Namo tasa bhagavato arahato sama sambuddhasa. Buddham damang sangang namasami. The dynamic duo. <laughs> Such a lovely tradition, isn't it? So I've really been uh, looking forward to offering uh, some reflections tonight uh, because I, I decided to talk about a topic that's very dear to my heart. And based on uh, what I'm picking up in the in the interviews and uh, conversations with all of us who are taking part in this retreat, I've been really um, struck by how many people have uh, said uh, how much respect they have for the monastic community and how wonderful it is to come to this particular retreat. And I've been very touched and struck by how many people have said that, in fact, they, they only come to monastic retreats. And I thought this was very interesting. It's certainly um, a beautiful and wonderful uh, phenomenon and a, a bond. You know, one can feel a certain uh, bond among people who are similarly drawn. You know, um, there's something about what's uh, going on here that um, compels us uh, to attend and calls forth certain um, feelings in our hearts. And uh, just as Ajahn Punadhamma was talking about the other night, I I think it's really important to uh, bring what's going on in our hearts and in our minds fully into our consciousness, you know, so that uh, we can acknowledge it and so that it can be working for us. So I thought it would be good to um, reflect on um, that, uh, what is essentially really the, the lay monastic relationship. You know, um, we're all participating in something that, uh, whether we know it or not, or contemplate it or not, this is something that was established by the Buddha. And so we're taking part in a relationship that um, has been going on for 2,500 years. Fascinating to think about it like that. And uh, it's a relationship that he set up in such a way where uh, in, um, it, it's, it's sort of uh, mutually supportive, where the, the lay people um, look out for the monastics, you know, and uh, take care of their uh, basic needs. And um, the monastics are always looking out for us. Taking, uh, offering us guidance, and in a way they uh, are modeling a life that um, I think is very much a part of what it is that we're drawing, we're drawn to. You know, there's something about um, uh, the way that they are living that we find attractive. Isn't that true? <laughs> yeah. So um, there's so many. Th- angles to come at when one talks about this, but I've just selected a few. And um, uh, 
uh, just zero in on those and, and see if uh, uh, you resonate and, um, uh, you know, calling, just turning the attention towards what's going on with you in these areas. Uh, my my uh, thoughts are kind of personal in, in some ways because um, some of you may know I've spent a lot of time with the monastic communities over the last 15 years. And, um, I, you know, if I add it all up, I've probably lived uh, with them for about four or five years, you know, um, mostly with the nuns community at Amravati and, and Chithurst and uh, the, the monks communities. Uh, you know, in, in essence, when you're a woman there, it's, that ends up being a little bit secondary where you're spending all of your your time with the with the women, but one, no, the la, nonetheless, one learns a lot from the entire community. So, just zeroing in on a couple of uh, areas, um, the first thing that uh, I noticed was, um, and certainly what I was drawn to, is an incredibly high standard of living, <laughs> and I realized by. Uh, in, in hindsight, and by um, just thinking about it myself when I went there, that I always thought of a standard of living as something that was measured in financial terms, you know, economic terms, or um, uh, social status, or something like that, you know. Uh, but clearly, what is the measure of the um, high standard of living in the monastic community is, uh, is goodness, and kindness, and consideration. And so, you know, it's like if you want to move up in the world, you know, <laughs> you've got to step into those kinds of uh, states of being, uh, practice and uh, become more that way oneself, you know. So uh, I, I found this to be incredibly strong among these people. You know, the whole environment is predicated on, on goodness. And, you know, I, I've seen um, how... Um, unwholesome environments, and certainly we all uh, find ourselves in those sometimes, you know, how they can pull. They're pulling for the same kind of behavior, aren't they? And then you put yourself in a situation where the standard is so high in terms of morality and good conduct and kindness, then you find that that's, that's, that's the same thing's happening. It's pulling for that in you, you know? So, uh, you know, I, I often say that, you know, when I'm at the monastery, it's like, I like myself better than any other time, you know. It, it, uh, I get to practice, uh, call forth those kinds of qualities and um, actively practice them. And for me, there's something um, in that environment, and um, I would say it's very similar to what's going on here you know, this week. So I'm not talking about something that's separate from what we're all delighting in and enjoying as well. Uh, but for, uh, when, when I walk in there, it's very clear that um, this, there is an atmosphere that is different. <laughs> you know, it, it is extremely um, deeply rooted. And, um, you know, you get that sense of a way of being that has been going on for a very long time. You don't get a sense of, you know, here's a bunch of people who have an idea that it might be a good thing to be kind and good, and let's, and we're all just kind of all bungling around trying to figure out how to do that, you know? It's like, they know what to do. They know how to do it. And so it ends up being a, a tremendous help, you know, um, to uh, give oneself over in a, in a way to the training. 
So, you know, you have this, you have this feeling, like one time when I was there, it, it reminded me of like walking into, say, a really old uh, European village or town, you know, uh, where, you know, you, you get a sense that the, this market has always been here and these people, you know, people have always been here and that the way that they do things has always been um, that way, you know. And it's not, it wasn't because the buildings were old or anything like that. There was a culture, you know, there was a, there was a tradition that uh, one is stepping into. It's very tangible, you know. And, I mean, it's often when I go there after having been away for any length of time, <laughs> you know, you sort of have to deal with the, the marked contrast from <laughs> what you're bringing to it. And, you know, it takes a little while to settle down and, and uh, connect with it again. So uh, it reminded me one time of, a, of an image that um, I read in a Bhikkhu Bodhi essay, and I loved this. Um, he said that um, uh, he often, he was talking about refuge in Sangha, and uh, he said that he often would um, imagine um, like uh, Sariputta and Moggallan, and he'd look at the shrine and he'd see them uh, sitting on either side of the shrine, and then he'd bring up to his mind all of the um, people who have practiced in this tradition um, through the years and who have uh, attained freedom and those who are practicing in that direction. And he would just kind of start filling in the, the space around the shrine until the whole room would be filled and, and the whole uh, environment um, uh, in the shrine room would be one of, of the, being in the presence of uh, people who have practiced in this tradition and realized, you know. And I, and I love that because there's, there's actually this little shrine, small shrine in Chithurst um, that has uh, the two statues of Sariputta and Moggallana flanking the, the Buddha, you know. It's one of my favorite spots in there, you know. There's always a special little bouquet and uh, these statues in particular, you know, one, one, one of the disciples being um, the one who is foremost in wisdom the other, uh, the one who was foremost in compassion. And, uh, you know, to, to have that, the energy of that, just to, to recollect it, to remember that this is what I'm participating in. This is what I'm drawn to. And you get a sense that it's, it's gone on for a long time, and it's going to keep going on long after uh, the, even the... In, it's not dependent on the individuals who are participating in it, you know. And it's going to uh, go on after they're gone. So it plays out in many ways at, at the monastery. And, uh, you know, just this regular uh, and strong standard of, of goodness. You know, there's um, things that we do, like we do here, where there's a regular recitation of the, of the precepts so that one is constantly being reminded about um, the, what constitutes the standards that we're living by, you know. And, um, but it's also evident in a lot less uh, formal ways, a, a lot of the, just the, the manner, you know, the way of being, the way that people are with each other. So I, I'm often struck by just a gentleness and a consideration. Uh, you know, just, uh, for example, walking about when uh, you might want to have a conversation with one of the, the monastics. And especially when I first get there, I'm very aware that even when I'm in the midst of a conversation, I'm sort of like half in it and half out, you know, and just kind of like, yeah, okay, and, and, and on to the next thing and kind of like half taking care of the business that I need to take care of and then pulling away. 
And uh, I'm just struck by the body language a lot, where uh, just when, when, we're, when we're talking, you know, the, the monks or the nuns are just kind of standing there, you know, <laughs> just kind of their hands dropped at their side and, you know, full frontal, you know, ch- ch- chest uh, open and, and meeting you, you know. And I'm always like half kind of pulling away and half going to the next thing. And, you know, just that, that uh, simple uh, approach to conversation always has this effect of slowing me down and, and just, oh, oh yeah, that's right, I'm talking to another human being, you know. <laughs> this is great, okay, yeah, yeah, okay. Just slow down and, and, uh, and be in it, you know. Have the conversation. And when it's over, stop. And then go to the next thing, you know. <laughs> it's like, Oh, yeah. I just forget that so much, and it's so beautiful to have the opportunity to practice it. Or simple things like um, we, uh, on a, every day we um, get together for tea, and so uh, we'll uh, fix uh, tea for each other, and uh, there's a little sign-up sheet in the nun's kitchen where we, um, you know, sign up to do that. And um, one of the first times that I had to do this, I... I went to the tea cupboard after I was instructed how to make it, and I was just like, you know, I don't, the English have such great teas, you know, and and I just stood there, just going to saliva dripping out of the corners of my mouth, you know, thinking about all these fabulous teas that I was going to make for me, you know, and uh, they have like the the, the nuns, uh, I don't, the monks, monks kind of turn these kinds of teas down, but we, the nuns always get the ones with like the elderflower and strawberry and kiwi and all these. Great, you know, great little herbal um, delights, you know. And so um, just having that feeling of can't wait to fix it and, and make it so I can enjoy it. And, and then one day, um, being in the kitchen when, you know, uh, I was doing my laundry. We uh, wash our laundry in the same area where the tea's being made. So um, I happened to be in there when... Ajantanya was fixing the tea. And she was kind of thinking out loud or, and talking to me a little bit as she was preparing it, you know. And she was like, well, let me see. Uh, Ajantanya Siri has to go to London and give a talk tonight. I believe I'll make her some coffee. And uh, Sister Titamedas had a bit of a bellyache. And so I think I'll make her some ginger tea. In it, and this one, and this one, and this one, right on down the line, and you know, reflecting on what each one of them might need, you know. And then after it was all done, um, I said, "Well, where's yours?" And she said, "Oh, I forgot," you know, <laughs> completely forgot her own her own tea. And it just struck me, and I, I just I was like, "Wow, man, you know, <laughs> I got a ways to go here," you know. <laughs> This is not the way my mind is working naturally, you know. And 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 but then I thought about it and I thought, you know, well, I could do that. I could do that. And and just finding that the the next time that I'm making the tea, little by little, you know, it's got more of this in it. The, the pace is being slowed down, the thinking about others. It's like, you know, I always have to recollect when I first get there each year that um, you know, I'm not the only person in the world. It takes a little while to, to get the, the mind going in that direction again, you know, just to think about uh, the sense of the broader sense of community. 
And activities there are done at a pace that is incredibly civilized. <laughs> it's like, you know, um, what determines the, uh, the job, what, you know, the, the, uh, what one will do and how many people will do it is sort of the, the, the um, extent to which one can be mindful within it. You know? And I've, I've actually seen uh, many times where um, whole projects have been put aside because um, the community might be a little bit strained or a little short-handed or something like that, you know. And, you know, coming from um, state government, which I, I was in, you know, many years before uh, going to the monasteries, you know, it was like what, what drives actions is the ideas, you know. <laughs> and what, what uh, somebody just gets a notion about what needs to be done and establishes a schedule and a deadline. And then you can see the whole, you know, office, uh, the whole department just kind of gearing up and following these ideas and notions and not really reflecting about the effect that it's having on people and how, uh, to the extent to which people are enjoying what they're doing, you know. <laughs> and, and, and uh, do it, able to do it well, you know. So these, the, you just kind of uh, take these experiences and these standards um, back to your life, you know. And I mean, sometimes I have to admit, when I would go back home, I, I would feel a little whimpering inside, you know, because the the way that things were um, in my everyday life was was set apart from this, you know, it was a bit different. And uh, it could make one sad, but then you know, over the years, you just learn to. Well, that's that's not that's not useful. Yeah, there is a sadness in there, and, and maybe it's okay to have a, a tear about it. But you know, maybe the, a better approach is to begin to adjust one's life. You know, we all. I mean, to me, uh, what's drawing all of us to this, you know, is is a um, uh, a wish to live by a higher standard, to uh, pull forth from the things that we hold dear. What do we value? You know, what's important? And are we living uh, in accord with that? Uh, you know, one is always, it seems like one is always asking oneself these kinds of questions around when we're around the monastics. <coughs> One time, uh, I was, uh, when I was leaving Chithurst, uh, a monk had uh, something that he wanted to give me before I left, and I saw him, um, he was concerned that he wasn't going to get it to me before I left, you know, and he came skipping up the path, you know, <laughs> and I realized, and I was like, what a funny sight. I had never seen a monk skip before in my life. <laughs> it was like, it didn't fit. It was one of these uh, incongruities, you know, because, uh, and I have to, I've always been meaning to ask Ajahn about this, if there's, if, if there's some kind of rule, you know, that, that, uh, you can't that you, they can't walk. Or they can't do anything but walk at a normal pace. <laughs> we'll have to talk about that. <laughs> but uh, it would appear that there is, and it has a, a very tangible effect on you, just to slow everything down. So that's one thing. Uh, the, the second thing I wanted to reflect on is. Uh, the use of uh, form and discipline and structures is very similar to what we're experiencing here uh, this week. Uh, and I think if you had told me that I was going to go on retreat or go to the monastery in order to work with a form or discipline, 
you know, you'd be like, whoa, you know, I don't know if I'm not quite sure I want to go there, you know. But that's exactly what we're doing, and uh, one begins to see the value of doing that. It's tremendously helpful, and I've found over the years um, that it's, it, it really turned my ideas of freedom on their head, you know. Because one, uh, has, one has the notion that, you know, freedom means being able to do what you want to do. You know, get up when you want to get up, eat when you want to eat, do the kind of work that you want to do, you know, participate or, or not, wh- whatever, you know. And um, working with form, one discovers an incredible freedom hidden inside going along with it. You know, it's like, it's the, it's the real freedom. Because I would watch over the, over the years and the months and years uh, that I've spent at the monasteries, you know, just watching my mind um, when I would bump up against the forms. Like, you know, getting up at 4.30 in the morning and going to puja, you know, day after day. Sorry? <laughs> Yes, we do. He's, Ajahn said, you lie until 4.30. It does, it does change in different times of the year. In the, in the summer, it's 4, isn't it? Yes, sorry. Oh, oh, oh gosh, well... Maybe I'm not recollecting it correctly, but I think it should host its 4.30. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> See, uh, he's saying Wapanadashat is 3.30. So I guess I've had it easier than I think. <laughs> so uh, you, have this, uh, you have this thing that you have to go to. And, I mean, sure, I suppose there's ways that one could weasel out of it occasionally, you know. <laughs> But part of going to the monastery is saying that you're, you're going to comply. You're going to go along uh, with the... You, you, you're essentially moving in and taking on the forms and practices that they take on and uh, working with them, training with them in the same way. So, you know, just that um, repeated thing of um, not getting your way, not being able to get up when you want and do the work that you want and eat when you when and where you might like to eat you know well it's it's quite a training <laughs> i would i would watch you know my mind and sure initially it's it can be very exciting it's like oh man you know look at me i'm at the monastery you know <laughs> and, and, and you get all you just can't wait to get there and get up and do it you know but that wears thin pretty quick, you know. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure some of you have had this feeling this week, you know. That's Monday morning, uh, you know. I'll be able to sleep in again, you know. And and that goes on there, you know. It's not that we don't get uh, a day without puja, because we do. But, you know, when it's happening, you want to be there. So you, I would just watch... Uh, the incredible in intensity of the whining that can go on, you know, just whining, 
And I want to, you know, it, well, I don't want to get up. Why do I have to get up, you know? And, and just all these things that we do together, you know, we have to do everything together, you know? <laughs> you just, you just want to go off somewhere and be, you know, I don't want to be bothered with anybody. And I want to I find my little space that's just mine. And, and you can't find one, you know? It's not, it's not quite like that. So you have to listen to the whining. You know, and and it goes on day in and day out. You know, <laughs> it, it reminds me of that. Reminded me of that. Um, did you ever see that uh, Saturday Night Live routine where they had they had this family that were called the whiners? <laughs> you know, <laughs> and the whole family just whined everything they said. You know, <laughs> it's like, I don't want to do that. Why do we have to do that? You know. And that's what it feels like, you know. You may have seen this <laughs> this week, you know. Um, but it, go, it can go on and on and on. And the value of working with form is that um, you can whine all you want, but you still got to do it, you know. So uh, little by little, um, you start to notice that, that um, if you get up, with the wine or without the wine, it's still the same, you know. It's, it's still, you know, a, a little chilly or a little hot, whatever, you know. Whatever it is that's keeping you from getting, turning your feet over uh, the side of the bed and standing upright and moving, you know. Uh, whatever is going on there, it's still the same. So one begins to see that where the suffering really is, you know. Uh, is it in the getting up? Or is it in the wine and the, the opinion about it, the ideas about it, the, the wanting and the not wanting it? You know, Not that there isn't a, occasionally a little discomfort in the process, but it's not worth it, you know? <laughs> it, it's not worth it. Just, you, just the rising up, the getting up and going. And you can see it a lot with the work because the work is um, uh, directed by uh, a nun or a monk who's in charge of that. And they're looking at the big picture. And so um, what's determining what is going to get done at any given time is what needs to be done for the sake of the community. You know? And so individual preferences and wishes and wants and hopes just kind of get you know, uh, uh, lost in that. You know? And it's not that you can't, and certainly if you can't do certain things or something like that, uh, there is an incredible kindness, incredible support to uh, do what you can do, you know. But in terms of today, we're going to move the wood pile. Uh, to, you know, this af- this afternoon we're going to shampoo the carpet or um, assemble the the yurt. You know, that you don't get to decide about that. <laughs> you just get to participate. And you can whine or not, you know. And what I've learned over the years is just you, you, you begin to get this uh, just a, a whole uh, mature and present attitude, not just about the work, but it, it seeps over into life, you know. It, it start, I started to reflect that it's like, well, I'm alive, you know, and this is life. And it could be this, it could be that, it could be that, but it's this. And so what are you going to do? <laughs> you know, 
what are you going to do? Are you going to say, well, that is what it's supposed to be, or I want that? You know, that it's not the way it works. This is this is our life right now. This is what we're doing, and so you you rise up to it, and finding um, in that simple change of heart, if you will, a tremendous happiness. You know, it's like actually, I like shampooing the carpet. You know, or or just just do moving the the wood pile. It's it's just that much. That's that's what's happening now, and so the details, the content of it all, is sort of not important. You know, how are you with it? How are you doing it? That's where the happiness is, and one begins to see it. I mean, just through a simple thing like having a, a form and a structure and discipline. So, you know, one finds oneself just wanting to bring more of that to one's life, which I would never would have thought I would do, you know, <laughs> you know, uh, decide that uh, I'm going to do something at the same time every day and, uh, and, and try and move to, in that direction. But finding that one is bringing, um, not only doing that, but also just bringing a happier heart to whatever presents itself. <laughs> this is it. This is it right now. You know, can you do it? You know, after just a, just getting that sense of after all the the uh, resistance and wanting things to be otherwise, what you're left with is where you were in the first place. You know, there's puja. <laughs> Do it or don't. You know. I love that. I've just found it incredibly helpful. So a, a, a few thoughts on. Um, Spiritual friendship, one of my favorite topics. Um, I copied a few um, of my, um, also my uh, favorite uh, scripture readings about this topic. Um, in the Itibhutaka, uh Buddha says, uh, "No, no single single external factor is more helpful than good friendship. One who has a good friend." abandons the wholesome, unwholesome, and cultivates the wholesome. With the help of good friends, uh, he progressively attains the destruction of all the fetters. In, in the Samyutta Nikaya, one should associate only with the good. With the good, one should foster intimacy. Having learned the true Dhamma of the good, one becomes better never worse. I love that one, don't you? <laughs> and here's a couple from the Dhammapada. It is good to see the noble ones. To live with them is also a pleasure. Not, uh, not seeing fools is also always a pleasure. And this one, uh, it's either a, a significant of the Buddha's sense of humor or things were different in his time. He who walks in the companion of fool, in the com- company of fools has to grieve for a long time. Association with fools is ever painful as living with an enemy. Association with the wise is a pleasure as living with one's relatives. 
<laughs> but you get the idea. <laughs> So, just keeping the company of those who are skillful, being around people who are um, well-trained, you know, noble ones. Uh, I find this incredibly helpful. And uh, there's a, you know, just, the, just these uh, situations, for example, where uh, one might be inclined to um, uh, maybe not speak so kindly you know, there's, there's one of the nuns who uh, is, has actually been incredibly helpful to me in this regard because she has this way that, uh, you know, if you go to her and you, and you, and you speak something that isn't in, entirely kind <laughs> towards somebody, she has this way of just kind of deflecting it a little bit, you know, and, and putting in something kind. You know, which at first, I have to admit, I found very annoying. <laughs> it's like you don't want it reflected back to you that you were just being a jerk, you know. And, but that's what happens when, uh, so, when people don't pick it up. You know, when it's, it, it just kind of falls like a big thud, you know. And um, it's not that, you know, I have had occasion where, say, I'm having difficulty with somebody, and one would go to one of the nuns and say, and, and, and ask for help. You know, it just seems that they can always tell the difference. You know, when you're going and, and, and uh, asking for help because there's a difficulty versus going and really, you know, under the guise of asking for help, just wanting to trash somebody, you know, which, which you can do. You know, we, we all do it. It's like, uh, you know, this isn't wrong speech, but, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> I've seen myself do it. But they're a tremendous influence, a tremendous help to, to keep, the, keep things on the straight and narrow. And good friends, you know, won't be afraid to, to tell you when things are a little bit off. You know, uh, Ajahn Amaro was talking to a group of us this week about this, you know, it, stepping into the shoes of spiritual maturity, you know, being willing to give and receive admonishment, you know. And, uh, you know, I, I find that very hard. I've been, uh, uh, had the occasion on a couple of times to be in the room when um, uh, Ajahn was just kind of towing the line with somebody, just trying to help them to uh, stay uh, firm in something. And, you know, inside, I'm just, ah, you know, that's so hard to be the one who's standing firm, you know. But uh, this incredible willingness uh, to do that, and it is hard. You know, and uh, he may not remember this, but one of the, uh, the it actually was my first trip to the monastery, and Ajahn Amaro was uh, still at Amaravati, and I was still very green <laughs> in terms of monastic ways, and very filled with a, a, a lot of the frenzy of uh, lay life, and so uh, I was uh, on this particular occasion. We were uh, just cleaning up after gruel, and um, it was. Uh, late, and I was worried that the people who had to wash the dishes weren't going to um, have enough time to do it. So, I mean, partly out of generosity of heart, but partly out of my, you know, just crazy compulsion, you know, to fix things and make everything right. You know, I was dancing around behind the servery trying to clear up everybody's dishes and stack them down the end of the 
by the, by the monk scullery so that they would be uh, uh, easy to get to for the people who were washing the dishes. You know, there's this big long server. And while I was trying to stack them neatly at the end so that the washers could get them, everybody kept bringing up the dishes and stacking them all over the server, you know? And I'm trying to give them the signal that, no, 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 you know, you bring them down here. This is, this is where we want to put them, you know? This is the right place to put them. And, and trying to manage and control this, this whole scene, which had become a little chaotic because there were a lot of extra people at the monastery at this time. And I think we had had something a little more um, complicated for, the, for breakfast, uh, so that we, there were dishes instead of just cups and a lot of things. Uh, and so uh, I was like, it, it just got frenzied. I got, I got into this real state about it, you know. It's like, no, you don't, no, get them down here, bring them down here. Come on, get them down here. And just, you know, stopping, grabbing trays and bringing them down and grabbing trays and bringing them down. And then, uh, then I'd grab this one tray that somebody was putting down on the counter and they wouldn't let it go. You know, <laughs> and I look up, and it was Ajahn Amaro, <laughs> and he he's just holding the tray there like that, and so I, you know, he looks me dead in the eye, and he goes, Gloria. There isn't a war. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, you know, just have this effect of just bringing it all down. <laughs> snap you right out of it if you're receptive, you know, if you look. Very, very helpful. Well, I mean, in honesty, I, I was really mad at him for a couple of days, but <laughs> who does he think he is, you know? <laughs> but one learns to appreciate the, uh, the gift that's being offered. Mm-hmm. Just learning how to um, deal with uh, conflicts and confrontations. Um, this uh, last summer when I was there, uh, one of the senior monks and I had a little altercation, you know. And uh, there is just one of those situations where you're, you're moving a little too fast and saying things without thinking. And, you know, oh, he said something that really hurt me. And... Um, you know, I just got all, you know, and, and in that moment, you're just trying to get through this moment, you know, how can I not scream and, you know, cry or, you know, let it be, be unkind to him, you know, how can I just deal with it? And, and so one does, you know, he says his thing, you say yours, and then, but both knowing something just happened, you know, and, and you're not, you're not quite equipped in this moment to deal with it, you know. So uh, just uh, escape to the loo and cry, you know. <laughs> and and then talk to one of the nuns about it later and uh, just trying to sort it out. What just happened? What just happened? And this is uh, one thing that I found very helpful there. There isn't this flurry, this rush to uh, fix things. You know, it, it's like something just happened, and I don't know what it was, and so it might take me a, it might take me a couple of days to, to see it. You know, to take it to my meditation, investigate it, and you know, little by little over the next couple of days, um, getting a sense of what that exchange was about <coughs> and what was off about it, and um, you know, this monk doing the same thing, and then maybe about three or four days later, you know. 
asking, you know, could I, could we, could we talk about what happened the other day, <laughs> you know? And then in that, in that cool down place, you know, um, being able to address it and uh, sort it out. I have found that incredibly helpful. That, uh, you know, I guess my, my manner, by contrast, in the past was always, you know, no, we've got to work it out now, you know, that kind of thing. You said that, and, you know, you did this, and you shouldn't have, and I, you know, and, and then not wanting to admit your own, you know, part of it and all that, how that can all just be so hard to sort out in the flurry of the, of the heat of the moment. So that willingness just to, well, you know, it's okay. You let it. This is normal, you know, and sort it out and talk about it when when you can. You know, that's incredibly helpful. I can remember one time talking to Ajahn Chandasiri and about this, and she said that, uh, yeah, 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 I know what you mean. That she said, you know, I've had things with some of the nuns where uh, I've actually said to myself and to her. Um, let's work on it next year. <laughs> you know, that, and, you can, and they can do that. And this is all possible in an environment where there's understanding that, you know, in a way, what we're, what we're, what's operating here is that we're unenlightened. <laughs> and we're, we're, you know, just a bunch of unenlightened people bumping up against each other. Well, what do you expect, you know? It's not, you can't expect um, perfection in that, in those conditions, you know. So then, given that, you, you deal with it when it, when it, you can, when it gets sorted out. So, in similar, in the same vein, is this uh, whole relationship with elders, which I have found to be very, very helpful, very important. One time I had the occasion to talk to um, Ajahn Sumedho and uh, Ajahn Viridamo about um, spiritual community and how to make it work, you know, among the lay communities. And um, I just put it very succinctly and I said to Ajahn Viridamo, you know, what is it about your life, if you could put it in as succinctly as possible, what is it about your life that is so conducive? to freedom. And he said, well, it boils down to three things. Uh, Being, uh, he said, restraint of the senses, being content with little, and deferring to elders. (laughs) And that last one just really got my attention, you know. I thought, wow, you know, that's, that's, I hadn't thought about that before. But, Certainly, when you walk into the monastery, it's very clear that you have walked into a hierarchy, you know, and and people will moan about that and complain about it. it's a hierarchy, you know, like it's this big dirty word, the H word, you know, and and yet it is, you know, but uh, it's I, I've learned that it's important not to carry one's perceptions about what that is to this particular arena, because I, as an experience, it is anything but heavy-handed. You know, the, the actual experience of what you've walked into is one wherein um, the elders uh, are uh, your helpers, you know. It's like if, you, if you're interested in a spiritual path, 
then it makes absolute sense to turn to people who know what they're doing, you know, who have a lot of experience. And that's what's being played out in this whole Theravada, the way, the way of the elders. So in the presence of that, I have to say that I have never been made to feel in any way less than or diminished or criticized or anything like that because uh, uh, I'm not one of the elders or because I don't understand things the way that they understand. What you get is, is much more heartfelt and sort of an, an, an invitation you know, uh, and in a way, you get you get companionship, you know, because it's like you, you bring your stuff to them, and and their response is uh, usually something like, "Oh yeah, yeah, I know that one, okay," and and then there's like a a, 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 a a happiness that you've had the courage that 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 you're seeing clearly enough to see something, and that you you have the courage to talk about it, and to, and the wisdom to come and uh, seek help with it, you know. I mean, that's, that's the attitude. And so it, it's uh, huge. It's huge. And I, I found in that relationship um, just this amazing side effect that I never would have anticipated. It's something that's been revealing itself in the last few years. And that's that, um, you know, you watch the elders. They carry a tremendous load. You know, they are responsible for the training of so many people, not just the monastic community, but all of us, you know. And they're human beings. And so you get, you know, they probably think about us and worry about us a little bit, you know. So there's that level uh, of wishing um, well, wanting to guide people's spiritual practice. But then, especially in the case of the abbots, they're also running monasteries, you know, and they're organizing things and in charge of an awful lot and meeting, interfacing with the exterior world, you know. So as you watch all of this and then, you you know, you come with your little thing that needs attention, you know. It's like, uh, not that it's not important, but what I've been noticing is that um, there's a much greater concern for their welfare growing, you know, that so that it's like, you don't want to be a burden. You don't want to keep bringing things, you know, help me with this, do that, you know, I don't understand, you know. And, and what I have found is that out of, it's, almost like, it's almost like out of gratitude for what has been and is being given so freely, so, so heartfelt, so, so deeply. One wants to... Um, Step, you, you want to step into your own shoes. You want to step into a sense of self-sufficiency so as not to be a burden, you know. And it's been fascinating to watch this. You know, let me... I can figure this out. I can, I can understand this. Can you feel that? It's, it's lovely. What we do with the people that we care about. Not expecting them to always be taking care of us, but rather turning instead in, in to find ways that we can take care of them, relinquish some of our needs uh, in, the, in the interest of their welfare.
So this is a, a, a similar feeling right now as we're all here together, just that having that um, experience of rubbing up against the, the elders. This is our time to um, spend time with them and let their, their goodness rub off on us. You know, you, It's tangible. As a lot of you have been saying, you can feel it. In one of the suttas in the Majjhima Nikaya, the Buddha says to, to choose friends who have faith, who exhibit a, a wholesome sense of a moral shame and dread, who are learned in Dhamma, who are energetic in the cultivation of it, who are mindful and wise. This is, this is why we turn to um, the elders. And just this, this last point actually came to me um, as, a, as a real surprise. I, I, was, I was very much surprised to learn this from monastics and from a, a male monastic at that. <laughs> it, it was a, a, a part of a series of talks that one of the, the monks was giving um, at Chithurst and um, hadn't thought about it quite like this. But... He was saying he was talking about um, human beings and um, our emotional nature, and the fact that uh, this emotional nature needs to be acknowledged and fed, you know, and that if we if we don't, it's like it's like you know you you, you really tuned into the fact that perhaps that you've got a body, and that there's this mind. But then he would like point to the middle of the chest and say, "Well, what about that right there? You got you got yourself a heart there, you know? What's going on with that in that realm?" And saying that we all need to have outlets for our emotional expression, uh, for expressing what is important to us at that level. And so that, you know, it could be in anything. It could be relationships, it could be Monday night football, you know, it could be uh, movies or, or whatever. But everybody has something that is important to us, that we, we, we connect to uh, deeply at an emotional level. And um, one way that we make this emotional connection is with spiritual practice. And there are uh, certain um, rituals through which it finds expression. Uh, and this was kind of like, well, I haven't quite thought about it like that. It's a, it ends up being a, a way to um, speak the language of the heart. You know, it's like very poetic. Uh, how are you going to give the, the heart, which may not think, may not... Uh, express in the in linear ways. How are you going to give that full ventilation and full exp- expression? So there's certain props that we have that that bolster that. And um, you know, some some people uh, might find some resistance to these. You know, a, a lot of us have come to uh, Buddhism largely for uh, the meditation. You know, and then along the way we find things like um, you know a shrine and candles and incense and flowers and uh, rituals of, of bowing and, and chanting and things like this. And, you know, it's like, well, what are you going to do with all of that? You know, how, how are you going to hold that? 
So, you know, it's good to, to consider what's going on with these uh, gestures and these expressions. And just looking at things um, symbolically, looking at the symbolism that's being expressed here. The uh, things that are offered in puja, and puja means offering, are these, uh, these three, you know, candles, incense, and flowers. And the, the flowers uh, symbolize the beauty, the beauty of and purity of sila, of living well. And uh, the candles symbolize uh, panya, or wisdom, the light of wisdom that awakens the heart and mind. And the incense is a symbol for samadhi, the, the one-pointedness, the little bit of light at the tip of the incense. And uh, I love what Ajanamara explains the the, the, the uh, smoke coming off of it as actually sort of the, the perfume, sort of the, the psychological atmosphere that fills the mind that has gotten still and relaxed. Yeah. The beauty of that. And so, you know, these are made as an offering. One is actually sort of uh, gesturing in a way in the direction of sila, samadhi, and panya, the, the Eightfold Path. And uh, in, in a way, uh, offering that, offering one's commitment to that, and in, in a way, bowing and, and uh, showing one's respect for it. So these, these kinds of gestures just kind of have a way of adding a very physical and emotional, uh, 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 an emotional connection through the physical. And you can feel it, can't you? you know, when you're uh, going into the bow, for example... Um, and it's said that just repeating these kinds of gestures frequently is actually uh, becomes part of the habitual body karma, uh, and that um, it's good to have these kinds of gestures of refer- uh, reverence as uh, as part of our character, part of the way that we are. And that's what we, you know. You sort of end up practicing that when you're here this week, don't you? you, know, you find yourself just when you leave here, uh, for example. Uh, one of these valuable gestures, just Anjali, putting the hands in Anjali. It, it's not, this doesn't have the connotation of, like it does, say, in, in Western religions of sort of a prayerfulness. It's a symbol of respect. You know, so, so you find uh, yourself sort of bowing to each other with that kind of respect and, and uh, relating through. It, it serves as a reminder that this is how I want to relate. This is how I want to relate to you. Or this, um, the, what we call the five limb prostration, just the bowing down is a is a uh, symbolic of sort of giving oneself over, surrendering the selfish uh, focus, and um, giving oneself over to something that is much larger, much bigger than oneself. Bowing, if you will, to enlightenment. Bowing to the Buddha Dhamma and Sangha. So you know, I don't know. This might be personal. I, uh, I, I find a great uh, comfort in these practices. I find a, a, there's something in me that is happy in the uh, expression in this way, and you know, it can could be just you know the the say in my youth where. Uh, one was raised in, a, in an archdiocese, you know, and all the bells and the incense and the candles, and they were very happy memories, you know. I, I loved all of that. 
and it could be just a, a resonance with that. I don't know, but um, I, I, I think it's a lot more than that. Right? I think that there is um, something in these kinds of rituals that our hearts need, and that uh, maybe even perhaps we've lost a little bit in, in our generation, you know, that uh, uh, we seem to have more of it at other times, and, and uh, maybe we need more of it again, you know. Uh, so it's, I don't know, and each of us has to say for ourselves, but it would just be, say, an invitation to, to look and see in one's experience uh, with these kinds of uh, de- so-called devotional expressions, or I would say even just emotional connection with what it is that we're doing, what it is that we value, what it is that is represented um, in Buddhism. You know, what it is that we're drawn to and uh, making uh, that, say, an object for your observing this week as we do this and, and onward. See how important that is and, you know, give oneself over to it uh, in one's own time, in one's own way, if at all. Oh, I, I thought some of this might be helpful, and uh, I hope that it is. I just like to wish you all a very uh, happy and heartfelt practice uh, as we uh, sort of kind of, you can feel that moving towards the end of the retreat, you know, and uh, just noticing that tendency to maybe get ahead of ourselves and and just continue to keep settling back and settling back. That what one um, can benefit, you know, you, we can benefit greatly from what we've built up in this week. And uh, instead of the, holding it like there's only two more days, um, say, oh, there's two more days. You know, <laughs> you rise up to it. So I'll offer this for your reflection. So let's do close with the sharing of blessings in Pali this time. It's on uh, page 34 in the Brown Book. Andamaya mudisanaditanagataya banama se. Upachaya gunatara achari upakara chamata pita chanyataka 
Suryo Chandimaraja Gunawanta Narapicha Brahma Mara Chainda Chaloka Pala Chadevata Yamo Mita Manusa Chamachata Verika Vichasabesata Suki Hontu Punyani Prakatani Me Sukanchati Vidam Dentu Kipam Papeta Womatam Imina Punyakamena Imina Udisena Chakipam Sula Peche Watanu Padana Chedana Ye Santane Hina Dhamma Yawani Banatomamam Nasantu Sabadayewa Yatajato Bawe Bawe Ujuchitam Satipanya Saleko Wiriamina Mara Labantu Nogasam Kalatuncha Wiriesume Udo di Pawaronato Dhammo Nato Wawutamo Nato Pachteka Buddha Chasango Nato Taro Mama Teso Tamanu Bawena Marokasam Labantuma Arahang Sama Sambodho Bhagava Bodhang Bhagavandang Abhivadehmi Svakato Bhagavata Dhammo Dhammang Sapatipano Bhagavato Savaka Sango Sangang Namami
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.